Do you know who would be a perfect character to add to the Bible? I mean, if we were still adding, of course, because obviously we're not adding people to the Bible anymore, but a perfect person, a perfect character to add to the Bible, that'd be me, all right? Maybe you too, all right? And you know why? Because I am a perfect case of missing the mark, Ah, bumbling it up, starting off in a good direction, good intentions, and then getting messed up. And that seems like the story of so many of the other Bible characters. Just because you're in the Bible doesn't make you the model to follow. It might make you a model, but not always the model to follow. You know who else fits that bill really well, but's already in the New Testament? The church in the city of Corinth. Man, we think that they are extra special because they got two surviving letters to them, right? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, two letters. But experts say that there might have been four, there might have been even more, but two letters. And honestly, if you, if you read them, they're at earlier in the New Testament because they're the longer letters. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, big, long letters. Wow, they must be really pretty lucky, you know, to be chosen like that but that's not exactly the way it was. And I think if the Apostle Paul could have addressed them accurately when he was writing those letters, he would have been using their whole name. You know what I mean? The whole name, all of their middle names included also as he's writing that letter. Now you listen here, Bartimaeus, Siegfried, Cornelius, Malachi, Corinthian. It's time for you to listen carefully. You started off on a good path and then, oh, my word, What has happened here? Just what have you been getting yourself into? That's the tone of the letter. Now we're going to jump in at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Uh, Thanks, Paul. Uh, 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are Divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. 19, no doubt there, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. Verse 20, so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. 21, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So they're missing the mark, bumbling it. The church, and by that I mean uh, all the different local branches of the church universal. The church met in houses for the first three centuries, 300 years. There are a number of reasons for this. Uh, One of them is that, you know, the community as a whole is frequently poor, all right? And And being a Christian in that time usually made you poor. Between the persecution that you were going to go under and the need for funds, because you're always free and slaves, 
Um, you're, you're feeding the poor. You're supporting missionaries. The churches frequently had no money to think of a building anyways. So they went to patrons' homes, and that would be a host's house. And in that house, there would be multiple rooms. And there was the triclinium, which is the Roman code for the best room. And then there was the larger room for the crowd in an adjoining atrium, okay? And that would be the largest furnished room in the patron's house. There's a specific issue that we hear about from Paul that was going on in the city of Corinth. Social standing, really a big deal in Greco-Roman society, and still kind of today, and that made it a huge problem in Corinth. Old habits die hard. Guests were arranged into the different rooms, and the higher social status people were ushered into the triclinium, where they would be feasted with all of the finest, while all of the others were served in plain view of this room, but they're in the atrium. And there they're they're served inferior food and inferior wine, and they often complained about the situation. This is a huge distraction within the church. So for the background of the meal that they're celebrating, we call it the love feast. It's the Jewish Passover, a sacred meal, celebration, sacred celebration. And table fellowship is huge. It's a sign of intimacy, and there's intimacy, but at different levels and in different rooms. So there's a significant, ongoing, structural, habitual separation in that church. And that's why Paul wrote this letter and the other letters also. He proceeds to work them through, kind of step by step in a number of issues, and he links them together, showing that they build one upon the other. Unity in Christ, though, being the congealing factor, the driving factor of how you decide what you should do and why that's wrong. Paul provides guidance in worship and in service issues to the Corinthian church and at the same time to any of the other churches who would also have seen this letter, because that's the way the letters work. All the letters found in the New Testament would have been copied, and then they would be sent to other cities, all through uh, other cities, other churches around the Roman Empire. And Paul's guidance came through by applying that central Jesus' command. You know the one? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's why you're having a problem with this meal thing. So what's true then is true now. We are to guide all of our interactions by looking at how Jesus loved us and then taking that style of love that we received and offering it to those around us. Different languages, one in Christ. Different nations, one in Christ. Different social standings, one in Christ. Male or female, one in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, just a little bit later in the letter. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Five, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Six, there are different kinds of working, But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And it's not just to Corinth alone that Paul's writing. He didn't just apply this Jesus teaching to Corinth. It goes to every one of them. Jesus' teaching is what he bases all of his letters on. So we see the same guidance going to Ephesus. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How would, that, how would I know if it's worthy? Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Six, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It goes on. The same idea goes to the region of Galatia. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 27, for all of you who were, baptized, who, were, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The same directive to love one another as Christ has loved us applies to the church in Stouffville, Ontario, Canada as well. And that leads to our habit, our pursuit, our practice of the creating the into-one environment. It's in the name, all right? We, we have a reminder in our name that we are all in the process of being perfected into one. And when we gather and, and when we are separate, our calling remains the same. We are Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused, and that mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. We are at work in partnership with the Holy Spirit, crafting, creating, cobbling together the into-one environment. We work at it, and we make it. And you are here even a church online, no doubt at least in part due to some experience with our environment. It's this environment that makes you part of our family. We think about it many times. We think, oh, new people. we got to welcome new people, right? We've got to make them feel included, make them feel special. And we say clearly and regularly, you can belong here before you believe. But we keep after it together embodying the environment. We make it for all of us. It's the place that we would rather live. We focus on the aroma of Christ and the ongoing creation of the environment so that we may continue to feel welcome even when we mess up. We need to know that we are part of a place that is committed to love one another as Christ has loved us, to bear with one another to forgive one another, to call each other forward, to encourage, to delight in and display the love of Jesus both to each other and to those who are currently outside of Into One. We believe that living within and creating this environment is fulfilling our calling, living on mission by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. We are building the kingdom of God on earth, and it is not a building with four walls and a roof but a spiritual kingdom that exists wherever we go and regardless of what is happening around us. We are at work building this environment for others, for each other, 
and to honor and glorify God. Therefore, it is of prime consideration in all of our interactions, we have experienced the miraculous, ongoing provision and blessing by God at into one. We exist because of it, and we give credit to where it's due. As He moves us forward, we have taken steps of faith, and then we have taken next steps of faith. That is the pattern for us as a whole and for us as individuals. There is always a next step. We are always growing and moving. Now, an enormous next step for us into one was the initiation of project accessibility. God provoked a vision in us to next step this building that He provided for us. It was hard to get into. It was hard to use. And that was creating exclusions, and that is not what we are about. We're into one. Project accessibility was first understood by us to be about physical access. We began looking at things and saying, we got to break down some barriers and we have to open doors. And then funds came and, and plans came and workers came and many of you were involved in that and bringing that to life and now we can see what has happened. But even as the project was moving forward, we began to sense that our initial physical vision was short-sighted and incomplete because we are partnering to build a spiritual kingdom. And that initial project accessibility vision was always larger than what we had seen. The mission to be about breaking down barriers and opening doors was physical and spiritual as well. So our next step is working towards doing just that, identifying barriers to people that you know, what keeps them back, and then looking for ways to break, to break those barriers down. We're looking for doors or blockages and then opening those doors. Perhaps the largest implementation of that recently has been our development of church online because everyone, because everywhere, and because anytime. It, it, it doesn't quite make us pandemic-proof, but it certainly has helped. And now we are looking for ways to bring together. And that, whether you realize it or not, is the pursuit of holiness. Rich Velotis said, in our minds, holiness is usually about what we abstain from. But Jesus saw holiness as what you give yourself to. Namely, justice, mercy, compassion, love, and hospitality. And in the end, the holiest people are the ones who love well. And I think that describes the creation of the environment here as well. And I'd say, isn't that a place that you would like to be a part of? Isn't that a place that you would like to help create? Isn't that a place that you would like to invite other world-weary souls into? For me, I'm a yes on that, on all of that. i got to say, what about you? Is, is that a yes for you? Are you interested in doing that? The path forward for all of us at Into One will be next steps. Next steps as an entire body and next steps for each gifted member of that body. So some of those next steps are personal and individual. And many, but many can also be accomplished much more effectively through teams. So would you consider joining a team? 
it, it'll help you to grow yourself and the body as a whole. And our serving teams grow and reinforce our environment. Serving on a team allows you a more direct way to shape both the spiritual and the physical environments in which we together exist. It's all part of that drive to grow closer to Christ through generosity, generosity in time, in treasure, and in talent. So I'm encouraging you, please give generously in all of these ways. Because we're on a journey, a journey forward filled with many next steps. And you don't age out, and you don't have to age in. When we stop, when we cease taking next steps, we stagnate. When we stop, things don't go right in us and around us. We have a problem when we stop moving, when we stop taking next steps. And I'm not a Christian because I believe that my blessing is just around the corner. I'm a Christian because I believe that whatever is just around the corner, God will be there with me to handle it. Next steps are necessary in life, and they are necessary within a Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, mission-focused community environment. And a key celebration for such a community is the love feast. So Paul's direction to that Corinthian church is our direction as well. The direction follows that he gave us immediately after that part where he could not recommend them that we read earlier. Speaking to those Corinthians, he said that they're missing the mark. He stopped. At the, we, we stop traditionally at that part. We separate these things, and you think that they're somehow separate sections, but it was a letter that he's writing, and in it he says, these are issues that you're having. And then at the same time, he's saying, and let me help you get refocused, recentered. So the very next verse, 23, happens to come right after 22, where he is saying, I could not recommend you. These are things that you're doing. 23 is the verse that we all know and we know it really well. Four, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So there's huge context there. This is the problem that you're having. You guys aren't getting along. And when you have this meal, you say it's the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper. It's your supper. You're just eating. And as you're doing it, you're not following the mandate that we have to live out the Christ love to each other. So you're doing it, and you say you're doing it for God, but you're not. So let me tell you what that would look like. Let me tell you why we do what we do. Let me tell you why that meal is important. Let me tell you why at that meal the way you treat others is really, really important. Let me show you what that is like. And that's why he says, for I passed, I, for, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Now he's going to tell the story. Remember this story? This is the love that God showed us. So when we say love as God loves you, this is the kind of love that we're talking about. The Lord Jesus. You remember that story? On the night that he was betrayed? You remember that? You remember he was betrayed? He took bread. Oh, it's part of the meal. 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that remembrance of me part is really important because when they were having their meal, they said, it's the love feast. Let's have a party. And they did. And in the midst of it, they forgot who the meal was to celebrate. And, and, and not just to say, hey, Jesus, we love you, but to say, 
hey, Jesus, we love you, and we will show that love. We will demonstrate that love for you by loving these other people that are near us because that's how you loved us. You, you came to us and you met us when we were at our worst, in our darkest place. That's when you came. That's when you found me and you forgave me. Oh, that's the kind of love. That's the kind of acceptance we are supposed to be showing to each other. So if we're doing that, and at the same time excluding people and holding them back, treating them poorly, not treating them with the love that says, as Christ loved us, so you must love one another, then we're missing the mark. We don't want to miss that mark. So when we celebrate, it's not just about you. It's about a celebration of that environment coming to life and reminding each other of why we do what we do, why we choose to be involved. Not because it's a religious ceremony that we're somehow forced to be involved with. No, it's a choice, a conscious choice. I want to be part of this. I want that Christ life. I want to choose that. Christ, I want more of you in me. I must decrease and he must increase. So, Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new start, the new way, new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. Remembering what I did and how I loved you. Remember, remember, remember. It's not just about where you are right now. What you are living out and reminding yourself of is my story, my gift to you. So whenever you eat or drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And as you do it, you must do it to honor him. And honoring him would be then loving the people around you. That's the way we're to live. In remembrance of me. Verse 26. For whenever you eat this drink, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is a declaration that we make, not just a, hey, we're going to have a meal. It's going to be great. Yay, Jesus. It's time for us to remember, a time for us to reflect, a time for us to interact. And in doing that, we proclaim the thing that changed our lives. In remembering that, we proclaim the message, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. That's part of the remembering. That's part of the guiding force. That's part of the environment that we want to exist, whether you're here or wherever it is that you are right now. That environment surrounds you because you are part of the church, and the church ain't the building. The church is the people, and the church is the people even when they're not standing together. So wherever you go, everyone, everywhere, all the time, that's the environment that should be coming out of you, the aroma of Christ. So now we celebrate it together. And as we celebrate it, we do it kindly and not in an unworthy manner. So we're going to celebrate communion together downstairs in our garden room. I just named it. Our garden room following the service. That's where we're going to go, and that's what we're going to do. That's going to be our celebration today. So if you're at church online with us today, uh, I'm not going to take you through communion. We're, we're going to do it together here, and we're going to make it uh, a different kind of celebration today. Sometimes we focus very much on the, on the elements, and we have more of a, a sacred time. This, this month, 
will be more of a celebration time. For we are glad for what has been done in our midst. We have been transformed by the gift of Christ. By his death and resurrection, we have hope for now and hope for the future. We have hope that our sins can be forgiven. We have hope that we can have life forever. That's the story that we tell each other and remind each other of. Don't forget because it's so common to look at your phone and see what's new, what new crisis, what new scandal, what new horror has come. And that takes over our mind. That's what we think of. That's what we see. That's drawing feelings from us. Instead, we say, together we choose to remember this story that has transformed us, that brings life and gives life. That's what we want to be in. And as we soak ourselves in that story, remind ourselves to live in light of that story, the kingdom of God comes alive in us, comes alive through us and around us. And that's part of what happens to make a difference in our community when the love of God is so strong in us that He prompts us. I think, I think you should speak up. I, I, I think you should help. Maybe you, maybe you should write a note. Maybe you should make a phone call. Maybe you could give some of your time. Together, we have an influence that goes beyond, greater than the sum of its parts by far. All of that is happening in communion, and that is an ongoing work effort that we are in to live in such a way that the aroma of Christ comes off us, is smelt by those around us, encourages them, and calls them forward to greater acts of service and kindness and compassion, generosity, forgiveness, love. Is there anyone who, who wants to be in a world where there's less of those things. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I don't think you want to live in a world where there's less of those things. So I think that even the people who don't believe in Jesus, don't go to church, don't like God yet, even those people would be very much in favor of us fulfilling our mission. If that mission is to bring the aroma of Christ more into their world. I think that they're in favor of us being like Christ. I think they're in favor of a little bit more Jesus-related kindness, compassion, love, generosity, all these things. I think that they're in favor of those things happening. So when we say they're, they're, they're not forced, they don't agree with us, morality, morality, morally, it's not the same thing as them not wanting us to live out the mission that we've been called to. And as they see people who are filled with kindness, generosity, compassion, self-sacrifice, it compels them to view a different world. Not to say, I'd like a different belief system, but to say, how come you live so differently? How come you're not impacted? Did you not hear about the scandal? Didn't you know about the story? Didn't you know there's an election? Didn't you know those, that party is bad? Didn't you know these things are horrible? Didn't you know that you should be angry? Don't you know that you should be miserable? How is it that you live differently in spite of everything that I'm living in at the same time? How is that? And then Peter reminds us that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. 
That is all tied in together. Are you able to give a reason for the hope that you have? Do you live in such a way that the hope that you have becomes evident? That is the calling. As we come together, this is something that we encourage each other to move in that direction, that the hope that we have becomes available and visible to those around us. Kind Father, thank you for the way that you have moved in this world. Thank you for the way that you continue to move. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue to make yourself more and more evident to this world, and you have chosen to work through us. As the weight of that responsibility settles, God, we ask that your Spirit would buoy us up, would lift us out of overwhelmedness, lift us out of frustration, lift us out of anger, lift us out of bitterness, lift us out of unforgiveness, lift us out of selfishness. It's our desire once again today to put our lives in your hands, to take a next step forward and place all of our weight on you. Without you, it all falls apart. Continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord Jesus, we pray, that we might live differently this week and have an impact in our homes, in our places of work, where we go shopping, when we go to hang out and have fun, that we might have an impact, that anyone who we bump into, that everyone who we would bump into, at any time we bump into them, would get a sense that we are in some way Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. It's our goal to point to you, Lord Jesus. Speak through us. Speak through us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.